Welcome to Vegan Business Talk with Katrina Fox, author of Vegan Ventures, Start and Grow an Ethical Business. Hello and welcome to episode 141 of Vegan Business Talk. I'm Katrina Fox, journalist, author and PR consultant and founder of Vegan Business Media a content events and training platform providing success strategies and resources for vegan business owners and entrepreneurs. Firstly, a quick announcement. I get a lot of people contacting me asking how they can work with me. So this is a little plug to let you know that I offer a range of services to vegan and plant-based business owners and entrepreneurs. From online training and group coaching to PR, content creation and copywriting services and one-on-one tailored individual private consultations. So if you're wanting help to promote or grow your vegan business, brand, product, service, book or other creative project, head over to veganbusinessmedia.com and click on the Work With Me menu link for more details. Now for the main part of the show. In this episode, I interview Grace Regan, founder of Spicebox, a vegan curry house in London, UK. Grace is a serial entrepreneur who cut her teeth in the tech world with her first startup, Clip It News. In 2015, she won a place on a top Silicon Valley accelerator and moved to California, where she became vegan. Disillusioned by the tech world, Grace moved back to London and started Spicebox from her home kitchen. She quickly fell into the world of street food, trading at markets and festivals across the UK, and was named a young British foodie street food finalist. With a mission to bring a fresh, modern spin on the Great British Curry House, Grace opened the first Spicebox vegan curry house in Walthamstow in northeast London in January 2019. Recently, she completed a round of investment to scale the concept in commuter towns around London. Spicebox raised over £850,000, which included a Cedars equity crowdfunding campaign. The company, which also implements a number of sustainability initiatives, including being powered 100% by renewable energy, reached profit within six weeks of opening. In this interview, Grace discusses why she left Silicon Valley, despite gaining success with her tech startup, to move into plant-based hospitality in the UK, why she chose Walthamstow, which is not known as a vegan-friendly area, to open her first curry house, how she raised £850,000 in investment despite getting a lot of no's and having no experience in the restaurant business, why she doesn't promote the business as being vegan, and much more. Here's the interview with Grace Regan from Spicebox. Hello, Grace. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Katrina. No, it's uh, really interesting to have you because you've got, I mean, everyone I speak to, uh, you know, everyone has an interesting story, but I find yours, you know, perhaps a little bit extra interesting and you can talk to us a little bit about that in a moment. But first of all, I would like to know, as I ask all my guests, the very first question is your why. So why, what's the why, what's the purpose and the reason behind your business, which is the UK's first vegan curry house, I believe? Um, I suppose 
the why is based on the fact that I think if if everyone ate a little less meat and dairy, then um, our footprint on this world and our impact on the environment would be less, which in my view is is a good thing. So I think that's that's mainly where I'm coming from. Right, got it. So I'm all about like, you know, encouraging people who aren't necessarily vegan to eat more veg. Yeah, got it. Fantastic. So talk us through a little bit how you got there, because I believe that you were actually in the tech world and you were in Silicon Valley for a while in California, and then you've come back to London. So you've sort of gone from Silicon Valley to Walthamstow, um, which for yeah. our, our international <laughs> our international readers is a place in uh, the northeast of, of London. Um, and quite different from Silicon Valley in California. So <laughs> tell, tell us a little bit about how you got there and, and why you made that switch. <laughs> yeah, sure. So so to give you the kind of the, the history, I, so I studied English at university and at university I did a lot of student radio, I edited some student magazines um, and broadcasting and media was always something I really wanted to get into. And when I left university, I had no plans, no job lined up. But I got approached by a mutual friend who had this idea for an audio news app. And he was looking for someone with an interest in audio content, editing and media to kind of start the business with him. So I thought it'd be a great thing to do. So jumped straight in. And about uh, two years down the line, we had a team of about 20 people. We'd raised investment and we'd created this short form audio news app called Clip It. Um, I was running the newsroom. Um, in charge of all the content and you know things were going super well and one thing led to another and I got invited to join a, a Silicon Valley tech startup accelerator um, which for anyone in the kind of startup space tech space like it's a it's an opportunity that you can't really turn down so yeah, sure. I decided to to move to California and um, join this accelerator in Silicon Valley and lived in California for a bit and while I was in California I turned vegan as you do so before in London I'd, I'd been vegetarian for a long time tried to go vegan in London this was about five years ago now and just found it really hard quite depressing couldn't really go out much there was just nothing like the the offering that there is today so I'd given it up but once I got to California there was no excuse really and it was just at the beginning of kind of the what we'd call this kind of second wave of, of veganism. And there was just so many exciting vegan food businesses opening, really cool vegan street food markets in San Francisco and L.A. And, yeah, I got totally swept up in that. Learned a lot more about, um, you know, the, the implication of our diet on, on the environment and obviously the ethical implications of eating meat and dairy. So I became more and more passionate about, you know, the, the cause of, of veganism. And at the same time, had kind of lost interest in, in what I was doing in Silicon Valley. I'd been somewhat um, disillusioned by the whole tech world. Um, it's quite a strange place, Silicon Valley. I don't know if you know it. Um, no, I don't. But, what do you mean? Yeah. Why were you disillusioned? What, what, what made you disillusioned with it? Well, it's kind of, I would say at its best, Silicon Valley is a place where some like very intelligent driven people are, are working on some of the you know, solutions to some big problems in the world. And that's great. But there's also a lot of people who are perhaps coming up with problems that don't necessarily exist, raising a lot of money and, you know, 
for no real reason, in in my opinion. And there's a lot of hot air there. There's a lot of egos. Um, and it's just something that didn't quite sit, sit right with me. And, you know, at the same time, my business had, had changed quite a lot from what it was originally, which was all about connecting young people with important current affairs. And it was more focused on kind of scale and, and automation. And it just wasn't something that resonated particularly with me. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. So at the same time as I was kind of losing interest in that, I was obviously getting far more interested in, in the vegan space, the vegan food space, uh, to be precise. I'd grown up cooking really into food and um, and I'd always had this kind of idea for, for spice box, which I'm, I'm sure we can come on to like in the back of my mind. And one thing led to another and I knew it was just it was the time to start what I, I was doing and enter a career in um hospitality wow that's fascinating i love hearing people's stories because you know on the face of it you know like you know when your your publicist got in touch and said you know she was in silicon valley in the tech world and for a lot of people like it sounds so glamorous you know like that's like you know people's dreams and then to do that but then you know it's kind of interesting everybody's different and like you say sometimes your interests can change and i love how you've uh, you know, you've you've completely, I suppose, the buzzword of 2020 is pivot, um, and uh, yeah. you know, you you've you've really kind of done that and made a success of it and followed your passion. So I I, I really like that because it shows you don't have to be locked into to something. And and sometimes you yeah. know, yeah, we simply we do sort of lose interest or something changes and we end up doing something else. So I think that's fantastic. So we'll certainly uh, we'll get on to talking about the spice box. Um, so tell us about so some of, well, first of all, I was going to ask you this a bit later, but I've got to ask it now because I, I keep seeing you having written your autobiography and having that title from Silicon Valley to Walthamstow it's just making me chuckle um so <laughs> tell, first of all tell me why Walthamstow why did you um yeah start with this because it's not the most because I'm from I'm from the UK originally even though I live in Sydney Australia I'm from uh UK London's my hometown I go back you know quite often and so don't really think of Walthamstow as being a particularly vegan friendly kind of um area so I'm curious initially why you chose that area right so I think probably in order to get to get to the answer to that question it's it's worth me kind of you know explaining a bit more about what spice box is and how I came up with the idea sure um so so I said I'd I'd, I'd had the idea so while I was working on clip it which was the tech company I'd I'd had this idea of like why isn't there a kind of fresh modern spin on the, the classic British high street curry house um, and that was kind of out of my own frustration of not being able to find you know Indian food that I had grown up eating and had eaten in India um, you know I couldn't find that in London despite the fact that there are a lot of Indian restaurants in <laughs> yeah. London and curry houses <laughs> and so just to give some context of that like my great aunt is Indian so I grew up eating her home cooked food. Oh. I traveled to India extensively and like had always had this like huge passion for Indian culture and cuisine. And so that kind of idea was, I was playing around with that idea in the back of my mind for a few years. And then when I became vegan and was in California, I realized that like Indian food is such a great way to introduce people to plant-based food. Because even if you're like an ardent meat eater, the concept of like a vegetarian or a vegan curry is, is not that scary. A lot of people like, you know, maybe their one vegetarian meal a week is, would, is likely to be some form of kind of curry or, or stew. So I knew that there was like that, there was a really great kind of entry point in, into vegan cuisine for a lot of people. 
And then also like the Indian food market in the UK is huge. I mean, it's, it's you know, famously our, our kind of the national dish is, is chicken tikka masala. Um, but I also saw quite a big opportunity because it's it's a huge market, but there's no like real brand that, that dominates that, especially on the kind of the curry house um, space. So all of these things kind of came together and that's what made me think, okay, now or never, that I've got to move back to London and do this. And so we are, we're unapologetically a local curry house brand. So I know you've got quite an international audience, but essentially in the UK, you can find what we call curry houses on high streets in pretty much every town across the UK. And um, they serve what can be described as kind of British Indian food. So it's very much like a British take on like Indian uh, recipes and cooking. And it's almost kind of its its own cuisine um, in its own right. And I really wanted to take that. So we're not a, you know, we don't profess to be like a truly authentic traditional Indian restaurant. We're very much like a, just a bit of a a modern spin on, on that kind of classic high street British curry house. So I knew that we needed to be somewhere where you would traditionally find like a local curry house. And that's usually in like a residential area, you know, a small town, it's not in the city center and it's where people live because, essentially people have curry in the UK on like let's say a Friday or a Saturday night when they're at the home they'll get an Indian takeaway or they'll go out for a curry so so central London was just not on the cards and also because rent is unbelievably expensive in in central London I just wasn't interested in paying those kind of rent so I was looking for like you know a, a residential part of London that had quite a small town community feel to it and Walthamstow really is that like it's quite unique and in terms of like London neighbourhoods, it does feel like you're almost in like a, in a town. It's got such a great sense of community, a really diverse group of people live there. And to me, it just felt like the perfect testing ground for Spice Walks and, and where we should open first, especially in terms of like target market, et cetera. We are still really trying to kind of figure out exactly who our target market was. Right. And also had such a good mix of, of, of loads of, of different, um, types of people demographics age groups etc got it great now thank you for sharing that because I think particularly with a business like yours which is has got physical um you know a location then location itself is super important so I think yeah. it's good that you you explained that so that that's brilliant so tell us about some of the key challenges when you first started out with Spicebox because I understand you initially started out as a street food stall and then fairly recently you've actually opened a like a, a physical um restaurant so tell us about what some of the challenges when you first started out Yeah, so when I moved back to the UK, I just started cooking in my home kitchen, testing recipes, developing the menu. And then eventually I I basically turned my home into an Indian takeaway. So I (laughs) built a table that fit into my doorway and I just sell um, Indian takeaway from my front door and also, you know, via various delivery partners. So those early days, it was really kind of, it was me by myself cooking in my kitchen and selling it by night. And then eventually I got a stall in a London street food market and from there went on to trade at street food markets across the UK and also festivals across the UK. And those early days, you know, they were incredibly tough because it was it was me on my own really doing doing a job that, you know, for, for, for anyone is incredibly hard. I mean, I would say that street food is one of the hardest um, jobs 
in hospitality for sure like in terms of the hours the pure physical physicality of it um the lifestyle that comes with it, it it's tough but uh, it's such a great way to learn about how to to build a food business and that's basically what i did i had to learn from scratch i had no experience so i mean challenges were you know they're everything from learning how to scale up recipes to f- to feed four people to you know a thousand people i had to, to learn that pretty quickly i had to learn about how to run a commercial kitchen how to employ and train chefs and uh, street food front of house staff um and kind of keep going essentially you know when i'd come back from a freezing cold rainy day on a market having sold next to nothing finding that drive and motivation to just keep going mm. the next day that was that was a real challenge but yeah worth it in the end Absolutely. Fantastic. And I understand that you fairly recently opened a, a permanent physical location. Um, and now, of course, we've got the whole COVID-19 coronavirus, which is impacting hospitality and restaurants in a big way. So um, how is that impacting your business at the moment? Um, and what are you doing to sort of, I guess, make the best of the situation? Yeah, so we opened our first uh, permanent curry house in January 2019. So we're just over a year old. Okay. Um, in terms of the the COVID-19 situation, I mean, obviously it's impacted the hospitality industry. I mean, not just in the UK, but worldwide significantly. Um, we were, we had to legally shut down our dine-in um, about three weeks ago now. But one thing that, you know, we're incredibly fortunate that we're still trading. Uh, we're doing delivery and takeaway, contact-free takeaway. Um, obviously completely shut off the dining element and so far it's it's working really well like we're still busy we're still employing a team um, our guests are still being fed in, in Walthamstow and um, I suppose that's by virtue of us being located in a residential area a lot of people are at home at the moment and also we're we're Indian food and we're we're a curry house and so takeaway and delivery for Indian food is something that customers are really familiar with and mm-hmm. our food travels really well so, you know, I, I feel very lucky to be a hospitality business that is still trading right now. Yeah, brilliant. It's interesting, isn't it, how it's impacting different people in different ways. So that's that's good to hear. Um, so in terms of your your growth, so how did you know that you were ready to move from doing the street stall type business to actually opening a permanent location? Because I know you said it's really hard doing the street stall stuff and I, I can imagine it is you know like you said with the antisocial hours the constantly moving you know stuff stock in in, in and out etc and traveling to all the different places but it's also quite a commitment to open a, a physical store where you've got the rent and all the other things that that come with it so I'm curious how did you know you were ready to make that transition so I mean that transition it was always my intention when I started Spice Box that we'd be a kind of a bricks and mortar curry house and street food almost happened by accident so from day one it was always my objective to get to the point where I could open a permanent site um f- for the route I chose was was raising investment so throughout the time of, of doing street food I was pitching to investors writing business plans etc really trying to focus on the, the future vision of, of Spicebox and so once we'd closed that investment that's when you know Financially, we were ready. By then, I'd had about two years of experience in in the food industry. And, you know, you're never really ready to take the next step. But it's one I knew I had to take. And you kind of make yourself ready. So I made sure that, you know, I, I hired I hired quite early on. 
I hired someone with far more experience in hospitality than me who really has helped me build the business. Um, and you just got to keep learning and keep being willing to to grow and and develop as and when you need to. Mm, I love what you said there about yeah, you're never really ready, and you just got to make yourself ready. I think that's great. That's a little maybe a, a tweeter, something you can tweet. That was a nice little uh, um, yeah little saying there. So you talked about funding and, and investment. So that's interesting because I know a lot of investors don't necessarily want to invest just in one single restaurant and. You know, so I was going to ask you at the end what your long-term vision for yourself and the brand is, and maybe you can either answer that now or later. But can you talk us a little bit through that investment process. So, and I know you obviously had experience with this; you were in the tech world. But I'm just curious as to your experience with pitching. So, you know, what type of investors were you pitching? You know, talk us a little bit through uh, what you did and how you managed to get successful investment. Sure. So, I mean. I'll start out by saying that that raising money for uh, a food and hospitality brand is is really challenging. It's especially challenging in the UK and in London. And having come from tech, it was a, a, a real wake up, uh, rude awakening for me. Um, because you know, as you kind of perhaps alluded to, like it's not a particularly um, like sexy investment proposition, especially early stage, because you know a lot of restaurants fail and it's quite a risky industry. Um, but I, you know, I, I, I knew I was incredibly sure that I was building something that had long-term value, and I could kind of see beyond that. And so the process was, you know, like like I had been through and with my previous business, it was was about writing a business plan, thinking about, you know, the five, 10 year plan, doing financial forecasts, building a deck, and then just slowly building up a kind of network of people who may be able to introduce you to someone who maybe knows someone who might be interested in investing. So it was just constant kind of reaching out to people, meeting them for coffee, talking to them about the business, um, seeing if they knew anyone who could offer advice or perhaps knew someone who might be interested. Um, so yeah, it was quite a slow process. I had a lot of no's, um, but you've just got to keep going. And if you really believe in, in what you're building and that comes across, then eventually you will get to the point where you meet the right investor. And, you know, lucky for me, I did. So were you doing all this while you were doing the street stall? So you waited to get investment yeah. before you actually opened your physical restaurant? Absolutely. Ah, okay, yeah. interesting. Yeah. Got it. Okay, that's that's interesting. Cool. Um, yeah, no, that's really good. Because investors are very kind of, they're, they're so different. And I think I like what you said that, you know, you just kind of got to keep opening those doors and that you got a lot of no's. Um, I think that's, that's helpful. Now, was it useful for you, do you think, having had that experience of getting investment previously? Or did it not really make any difference because it was such a different sector? It, it was useful in the sense that it gave me the confidence to even go out and, and raise money. I think it would have been a lot harder for me to believe that I could do it if I hadn't been through that process before. So yeah. I think, and a lot of pitching and talking to investors, is it's pure confidence. It's knowing your stuff, coming across like really positively to people because essentially they're, they're investing in you yes. um, more so than the business. Um, yeah. So in that regard, it was. But then obviously, you know, I'm more than willing to admit I had very little experience in hospitality I really didn't know much about that space so that's where the kind of where it was challenging um but essentially when when you're raising money the person that's 
potentially going to invest in you. They just want to know, are you going to be the person that can drive the business forward? And do you know the fundamentals of kind of building a business? And do you have that kind of passion yeah. and graft? Yeah. So um, yeah, it did help. It did help. But not. it wasn't a kind of, it wasn't a surefire way that I was going yeah. to get invested. I've done it before. Got it. Like that. Cool. So in terms of now, I know you mentioned when you first started out, you weren't sure exactly who your market would be. So this kind of leads me into my next question, which is about the use of the word vegan in your marketing materials or on your your website um, and the prominence of it. You know, whether you use the word vegan, do you use plant based, do you, you know, not not use uh, either of those. So tell us a little bit about your your choice of whether vegan or plant based. Yeah, so so we don't we don't really scream and shout about being a vegan food business, and that's quite intentional. I mentioned at the beginning that like, you know, I'm in this to help encourage people to like eat slightly more uh, vegetables, essentially. And so I'm not about it's not my mission to try and turn the world vegan. It's about like me showing people how delicious and accessible vegan food can be um and so i knew that if i defined our brand by being vegan then it you know it could potentially put off some people who otherwise would have like really enjoyed our food and and what we stand for and coming to eat with us and that's really kind of the thinking behind us it's not on our menu it's not on our shop front it's not really like you know in the the forefront of our our brand messaging and to me like that's really worked because most of our guests in our curry house we have regulars that come back you know every week and I would say 80% of our guests aren't fully vegan to me that's an amazing thing and so many times when I'm you know in the curry house and I'm talking to guests and they'll say you know I ate Either I had no idea I was coming to a vegan restaurant, I wouldn't have come, but now I've eaten it, I'm going to come back again and again, I'm going to bring all my friends here. People eat like our chicken tikka masala, which is made from soy-based chicken, not even knowing that it's not chicken. Oh, interesting. You know, I was going got, to ask you if you did that kind of thing. So you do use the plant-based meats, you just do, don't tell we people do, that we it's... Do the, uh, we do plant-based meats. Mm. I mean, we call it chicken c-h-i-c-k-n yeah yeah. (laughs) Um, but that's pretty subtle and I mean yeah and like you know we even have some people like bringing their kids to come and eat because like they feel like they've discovered the cool new vegan restaurant that their kids don't know about and like that kind of thing is just it's so great and essentially what I want to be known for is just a really great curry house that serves amazing food like regardless of if it's vegan or not Great. No, I love that. I like hearing because there's no right or wrong. You know, people often say to me, oh, should I use it? Should I not kind of thing? And I think there's no right or wrong answer. It really is down to the individual business. So I like hearing how things are working or um, otherwise. So that's great. So what are some of your uh, current marketing strategies do you use that you find most effective? Because I say you've been you've been going for a little while now. You've had your permanent location for a year and it sounds like you've been working really, really hard, you know, doing all the stuff of working in your business. But at the same time, you've also got to kind of build that brand and 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 market so talk us through some of your marketing strategies so so our you know predominant um piece of marketing that we do is essentially like social media um that's all you know we don't do any paid digital marketing but we put quite a lot of time and effort and energy into our social media 
um, mainly Instagram. We're also focusing a lot on YouTube this year. So we've put out um, season one and we've just put out season two, the start of season two on Spicebox TV, which is our YouTube channel. And that's all around kind of showing people how to make some of our dishes at home. Um, and I think like in terms of the Wolfenstow site, something that was super effective was that we launched a, a pop-up in a cafe before we opened the permanent curry house. And that was such a good way of not only kind of really testing the operations and the menu and the food and, and training the team, but also starting to build a, a name for ourselves um, organically within the community. And that's something that we've, we've always kind of really focused on, like hyper-local uh, marketing because like I said we're we're a local neighborhood restaurant so as long as everyone in that neighborhood knows we exist we're not too concerned with people beyond that anything beyond that is a, is an added bonus um, mm. we also really kind of keen on partnering with brands that we feel like kind of share our values um, particularly other local small businesses and brands so we work with a local brewery on one of our own label beers um, we have an amazing oat milk company based down the road who we work a lot with. Um, we've done quite a few kind of brand partnerships for specials on our menu, et cetera. And that really helps us kind of tap into to other audiences. And then wow. we also, um, in terms of paid marketing, the only thing that I'd say we really did paid-wise would be PR. I think PR for a, a food business, a restaurant business in London is is pretty key. We're really lucky to get a lot of organic PR at the beginning, especially when it was just me. Yeah, but, especially because um, you're a first of a kind not. and that's a useful tip. You know, I always say because I've got a, like an online PR course and I always say to people, if you can be the first of your kind in any way, that can often get media interest. It certainly pricked up my ears when, uh, you know, I got sent the pitch. And it, uh, you know, I thought, oh, okay, it's a first. Okay, that sounds interesting. So, oh, that's great. Good. Yeah. Good. So um, just as we wrap up, tell us a little bit about um, what have you learned? What have been, you, you, you would say, the key lessons that you've learned through running your business and any tips that you would like to share from anyone considering perhaps, you know, uh, leaving, well, maybe not right now when we're in the middle of the pandemic, but, but for yeah. whenever people yeah. might want to perhaps leave their, their job and, and become self-employed because it is very different, isn't it, working, you know, for somebody yeah. else and running your own business? I think in terms of kind of tips and things I've learned along the way, I mean, you're never going to know it all or kind of be good enough. It's an incredibly, um, you know, it's a hard thing, thing running, running your business. But I think the most important thing is to constantly go into things with like a growth mindset. So even if you don't, you don't know too much about like, the area of the business that you're working on you know maybe on that day it's about going in with an open mind and just being willing to learn and develop and that also alongside that comes like the willingness to put your hands up admit when either you've you've made a mistake or when you don't know things but I'm a real believer in just being super honest about when you don't know things because that's when you really open yourself up to, to learning growing and developing and also you meet amazing people who know a lot more about things than you do and, and you can learn from them so I think as long as you you go in with this kind of growth mindset um, and honesty, you can't go wrong. 
Yeah, no, I got that. That's wonderful. That's very good advice, actually. And I think it's kind of because you know, there's another buzzword that's going around, it's been going around for a little while, is authenticity. But people do want that. I think they're tired of brands, you know, kind of putting up a facade. They actually, um, you know, tend to warm to you if they, you know, know a little bit more about what's going on behind the scenes and where you're you're just being honest and upfront. So I think that's really good advice. Yeah. Um, so finally, talk us through your, a little bit about your, your long-term vision for yourself and your brand. Because I know you said you've got an investor, um, I doubt, I mean, could correct me wrong, I'd be surprised if an investor is investing in solely one single restaurant. It sounds like you've got some plans maybe to have, I don't know, your version of spice boxes in, in different locales or tell us a little bit about your your future plans. Yeah, so, I mean, the vision has always been to kind of be the UK's leading curry house brand and who knows, maybe the world. Uh, we've got international ambitions as well <laughs> nice. um but so yeah i mean right short term we're, we're looking at opening a second curry house obviously those plans have had to be put on hold for now until um this whole pandemic yes is, is out of <laughs> the way um so so that's kind of we really want to we want to open more more sites we're also beginning to work on a retail range um so looking how people can bring their spice box experience home um, and then also the media side of things. So like I said, we've got this YouTube channel um, and we've got some exciting projects that we're working on that I can't talk uh, about now, but along in that kind of space. So, yeah, we're looking at quite a kind of broad approach and really looking to kind of build a brand that helps communicate the kind of values that, that we stand for. Mm. I love that. And I, I, I must say on a personal level, I'm really happy to hear about this because I know when I went, because I've been vegan for 24 years now. And so I used to love eating Indian food, but of course, a lot of it is cooked in ghee. So even though a lot of the dishes were meat free, you know, if uh, if they were cooked in ghee, there was still, you know, a lot that I, I couldn't eat. So I actually, I quite miss actually a nice sort of, you know, Indian, vegan Indian curry. So I love the fact that you're doing this and I hope you do go international right, well, and come to Sydney. Come and yeah next next time time i'm in london yeah i I will i'll have to come up to walthamstow i've been there in a long time um (laughs) and check it out but that's wonderful i'm very glad to hear about what you're up to and i'm glad things are going well even you know during these very very strange times you shared some absolutely great um tips grace i really appreciate you coming on the show it's been a pleasure thanks for having me katrina so that was grace regan from spicebox You can find out more at eatspicebox.co.uk and that link is on the show notes page at veganbusinessmedia.com forward slash podcasts and going to episode 141. Now for some vegan business news highlights. British vegan dessert company The Collaborative, previously known as The Coconut Collaborative, raised $7 million in investment this month, that's April 2020 if you're listening in the future, reports Veg News. The investment round was led by Powerplant Ventures. The company, which currently makes plant-based yogurts, also appointed a new CEO, Mickey Tolman, who brings 15 years' experience working at hummus giant Sabra Dipping Company. The collaborative was founded in 2014 in the UK by twin brothers Edward and James Avedik and launched into the US market in 2018. It plans to offer additional vegan desserts, including rice pudding and chocolate mousse.
So this is really good news, particularly with the timing. While some investors have hit the pause button on new ventures due to the COVID-19 coronavirus pandemic, others are continuing to support vegan and plant-based businesses. Impossible Foods closed a $500 million investment round last month, and vegan chicken nugget startup Rebellious Foods raised $6 million this month. And for a list of vegan and vegan-friendly investors and how to get in touch to pitch them, you can find that on the Vegan Business Media website in a blog post called How to Find an Investor for Your Vegan Business. And there's a link to that on the show notes page for this episode. A free online summit for vegan and plant-based business owners has just launched, and I'm delighted to be part of it. The Plant-Based Business Summit is a fantastic virtual event hosted by my good friend Ron Gandiza, who's gathered 30 experts to share tips and strategies on all facets of running a vegan or plant-based business. It includes vision and goal planning, raising the visibility of your brand, how to raise funds, how to make sales and more. Ron is an extraordinary and hardworking entrepreneur and collaborator who's passionate about sharing the plant-based lifestyle in a positive way. Last year, he launched the Plant-Based Network, a lifestyle and entertainment TV network, which has tripled its viewership recently, with several hundred thousand people tuning in via Apple TV, Roku, Amazon Fire and on the website. The free online plant-based business summit runs from the 22nd of April to the 21st of May. And again, that's 2020 if you're listening in the future and will also be broadcast on the plant-based network. It features one expert interview a day over the 30 day period. So it's nice and manageable for you. If you sign up and register, you'll have the opportunity to also get recordings and transcripts of the interviews. Now, this is a brilliant resource for vegan entrepreneurs, particularly at this time. So I highly recommend that you register for it now. And there's a link to do that on the show notes page for this episode. So that's it for this episode of Vegan Business Talk. I hope you enjoyed it and found it useful. If you like the show, please give it a review on iTunes or whatever platform you're listening on, as it helps to get it seen by more people. There are more free resources on the veganbusinessmedia.com website to help you in your quest to build and sustain a successful business. And if you'd like to work with me personally on promoting and growing your vegan business or brand, you'll find details on how to do this on the website at veganbusinessmedia.com and clicking on the Work With Me menu link. Thank you so much for tuning in and I look forward to catching up with you on the next episode of Vegan Business Talk. Bye for now.